Welcome back everybody to our Covenant Series Session 4. I trust that you have been enjoying the series thus far. Uh, our twofold purpose of studying the Covenant Series is really, number one, to get to know our covenant-keeping God and then not only to know Him but to fall in love with Him all over again. And secondly, is for us to get a, a grasp of the big picture narrative of the redemptive plan of God throughout biblical history. And I trust that as we go through this series, all these things will become real to us. Now, last week, we looked at the Abrahamic covenant, which involves a land, a nation, and a blessing. Now, 430 years after Abraham came the Mosaic covenant. Now, this covenant is some, sometimes referred to as the Sinai covenant, according to the location in which the covenant was made, which is on Mount Sinai. Or, and or sometimes it is just known as the Old Covenant. But it was the covenant that God made with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. Now, the question is, how did this covenant come about? Now, after God made the covenant with Abraham, Abraham was blessed with the promised son, Isaac. Isaac, in turn, had two sons, Esau and Jacob. The blessings of the firstborn, we all know, went to Jacob. Now, Jacob then had 12 sons, and these 12 sons became the foundation for the 12 tribes that formed the nation of Israel. But all of us would know that even though we can have this large family with 12 tribes, it may not survive as a nation once it is put into a society with multiple people groups because there will be intermarriages and soon they will assimilate and then they become mixed. But God did not want that. God wanted a people for Himself. So what did God do? What happened was this. God allowed the Israelites to actually end up living in Egypt because of Joseph, who found favour in the eyes of Pharaoh. But once the Pharaoh that respected Joseph died, the Pharaohs that come after actually turned against the Israelites and they ended up enslaving the Israelites. And the Israelites became slaves in Egypt for the next 400 years. It was terrible for the Jewish people, but God actually had a redemptive plan in mind. Now, why do I say that? It's because the Egyptians at that time are one of the most racist people on earth. Why? Because the Egyptians at that time believed that they descended directly from the gods and therefore they refused to intermarry with the Israelites. And that was how God actually preserved the Jews as one people. It's something that I think God in His wisdom foresaw. Now Egypt, therefore, was like a womb to hold the Israelites and to give them time to become a distinct people. Then in the fullness of time, God took them out of Egypt and into the promised land according to the Abrahamic covenant. And it was at that time that God then raised Moses and in Exodus chapter 3, let me read for you verse 9 and verse 10 where God began to raise Moses and then used him to bring the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Listen to Exodus chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, the Lord said, and I have seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, he said to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. 
to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so that was what happened, right? Moses came up and then Moses began to take the people out of Egypt and move towards the promised land. But you know, God never intended to bring them straight to the promised land, but the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day literally led the people of Israel through the wilderness first to Mount Sinai. And in Mount Sinai, uh, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, you will find these verses. It says, On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Now, we all know that it took them three months to get out of Egypt and be brought all the way to Sinai. Now, during that journey in the wilderness, the Israelites already saw how God delivered them out of Egypt through miracles, signs and wonders. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw supernatural provision of food and water. They saw the defeat of the Amalekites. And they know that they know by that time that their God is real and powerful. But they finally, after three months, reached Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel camped there in front of the mountain for an entire year. Now, their time at Sinai was so critical that the Bible actually dedicated the rest of the book of Exodus and the entire book of Leviticus to actually talk about their time at Sinai. And it was there at Sinai that God made the covenant with Israel, the covenant that we call the Mosaic Covenant. And this is the covenant that we are going to study today. Now, the beginning of this covenant was recorded for us in Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 to 6. Can I invite you now to go with me to Exodus 19? We're going to read from verse 3 onwards. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, it is here that God began to reveal His, his intention, which was to set apart Israel to be His own treasured possession. He actually chose Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They are supposed to be priests to minister to the rest of the nations of the earth. They are to model for the rest of the world what it can be like as a nation under God. But this can only happen if they obey God fully and they keep this covenant. So you notice that unlike the Abrahamic covenant or the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant. Okay, question. Did the Israelites actually accept this covenant? I think they did. Exodus chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. Listen to what took place afterwards. 
So Moses went back, summoned the elders of the people, and set them all and set before them all the words of the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. In other words, what they did was this they actually commit themselves to keep this covenant with God. You see, this covenant was then further confirmed and further sealed in blood later on in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7 and verse 8. Listen to this. Then he took the book of the covenant, which is the law, and read it to the people. And again, the people responded, we will do everything the Lord has said and we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and then said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And that was when the Mosaic covenant was sealed and signed in blood. Now picture this. The people of Israel, they are all gathered in the presence of God. Their leader Moses took the book of the law or the Torah and actually read it to them. They all heard it and then they committed themselves to obey it. And on top of that, Moses took the blood of the animal sacrifices and actually sprinkled it on the people and then proclaimed to them that this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. In short, the blood, this was actually a blood covenant signed by both parties. The Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant signed in blood. So, what is the Mosaic Covenant all about? So, basically, it consists of three parts. You know, let me outline them for you. Number one is the laws of God. The Abrahamic Covenant gave the Jews ownership of the Promised Land. But the Mosaic Covenant dealt with the occupation of the Promised Land. You see, it's one thing to know that I own the land, but it's another to be able to occupy it. See, to actually be able to possess it. And from Exodus chapter 20 all the way to Exodus chapter 23, the Lord then gave the Israelites the laws that will govern the way they live together as a nation in the promised land. And this is what will set them apart from the rest of the nations. This body of law or the Torah basically consists of the Ten Commandments that Moses received from the Lord on Mount Sinai and the 603 other bylaws that will actually govern their way of life. And these laws are all recorded for us in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. And if the people of God were to keep all these laws, it will give rise to a holy, healthy and happy society. They need it. Why, 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 why do the people of Israel need such a huge body of laws? And I'll tell you why. They need it because they have been slaves, remember, for 400 long years. And by the time they come out of Egypt, they would have been a hardened people, rough and callous. You know, they, they need to be taught all over again how to live as the people of God. And that is why you actually find that some of the laws that are that are in this uh, in the Torah, they seems quite strange to us, right? For example, Leviticus 19, verse 14. One of the laws goes like this: Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, 
but fear your God, or I am the Lord. And when you read that, you have to ask yourself, why would anyone even curse a deaf person when they cannot hear? Why would they even do that? Why would anyone even put a stumbling block in front of the blind? In other words, why would anyone even trip a blind person? Who would even go there? It seems ridiculous that anyone would even think about doing that. But you know, after you have been treated with cruelty for 400 long years, we all can become hardened and need to be rehabilitated literally. Uh, what about Exodus 23 verse 19? You have a law that goes like this, Do not cook a young goat in his mother's milk. <laughs> what is that all about? It will, it, it will only make sense if we know that that is actually a pagan fertility ritual. That's what the pagans around them would do. Cook a young goat in his mother's milk for the sake of fertility. You see, so it's actually a pagan ritual. So God actually instituted these laws to teach the Israelites to separate themselves from such paganistic practices. Now, the, the terms in this covenant is such that if the Israelites obey these laws, they'll be greatly blessed. Their land will remain fertile. They will be well, spirit, soul and body. But if they break these laws, they will be cursed then they will see pestilence, drought and diseases and disasters and dispersion. These things will happen if they break the laws. Now, please understand that these laws are righteous and they are necessary to set apart Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Only then can they be a light to the nation. The people of Israel committed themselves to keep all these laws. But there is only one problem. They could not do it. Israel just could not keep the laws. They refused to follow the ways of God. And history will tell us that they were a stubborn, stiff-necked people. But the good news I have for you, brothers and sisters, is this. Our covenant-keeping God already has a plan to take care of their failures. And that's why God instituted Another thing, apart from the laws, he also instituted animal sacrifices in the Mosaic Covenant. And that brings me to the next part of the Mosaic Covenant. The second part has to do with the sacrificial system. See, I think God knew that the people of Israel would not be able to keep all of the laws all of the time. And that's why he already provided a way out by instituting a system of sacrifice. And so you find from Leviticus chapter 1 all the way to chapter 7, God actually told the people the different sacrifices they are to make in order to cover over their sins from year to year. All the animal sacrifices, however, you need to realize, does not remove their sins. It is not able to remove their sins, but only cover over them year after year after year. Why? It's because... The blood of animals itself uh, is already tainted with sin. When man fell into sin, the whole earth has fallen, the all of nature has fallen, and even the blood of animals is already tainted with sin. So therefore, when, you, when they do animal sacrifices to cover over their sin, the, those, the blood of the animals could not remove sin at all it, because it is already tainted with sin. Uh, it's a little bit like taking a dirty T-shirt 
and then you wash it in dirty water. And when it comes out, it's still dirty. And that's exactly what happened. So why then did God allow this? Why then did God institute a sacrificial system? It is because, I believe, God in His omniscience, God in His foreknowledge, is looking forward to the day when the cross will be erected down the, in history. You see, the Lamb of God at that point will be sacrificed once and for all, not only to cover over the sins of mankind, but to remove them once and for all, and to remove them forever. How do I know this? Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Listen to this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. And He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, in His long-suffering, God has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Which means what? All of the animal sacrifices through the centuries, down the years, they never actually remove sin. Sin was never actually punished up to this point until the cross. And it was at the cross that the sins of mankind were finally punished in Christ. And now the blood of the Son of the sinless Son of God is able to remove our sin. Because there at the cross, God punished sin once and for all. This is what was recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 14. Listen to this. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, referring to Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he then sat down at the right hand of, the, of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hallelujah. It was on that cross that our Saviour is able to say, it is done. It is finished. By his one sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, Jesus made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And today, our sins can finally be cleansed. We can be forgiven. We can be saved once and for all. Hallelujah. Amen. And this is the power of the new covenant. You know, I'm going ahead of myself. Uh, that is uh, our subject two weeks from now. But the Mosaic covenant instituted the sacrificial offering so that it could cover over the sins of the people of God year after year until the, the arrival of the new covenant. But So now we see, number one, we have the body of lo the laws okay, of God. Second, it is um, this whole sacrificial system that takes care of their failure. The third aspect of the Mosaic covenant is this, there's a choice between blessings or curses. Unlike the Abrahamic covenant, which is unconditional, where God does everything and Abraham literally only had to believe and receive, the Mosaic covenant, however, is a conditional covenant. God sets the terms, but the Israelites must also keep their side of the covenant. 
And if they obey the laws, they will be blessed. But if they break the laws, they will be cursed. And Deuteronomy chapter 28 actually outlines all of the blessings and curses that comes with the Mosaic Covenant. But one interesting thing to note as you read through Deuteronomy chapter 28 is this, that the curses are at least three times longer than the blessings. Right? So question, were the people of God able to keep the laws? No, they could not. In fact, if you think about it, the very day when Moses received the Ten Commandments and he came down from Mount Sinai, what were the Jews doing? That's right, they were already dancing before a golden calf. They were, all, they were already practicing idolatry. And bear this in mind, this was the same generation that had the blood of the covenant sprinkled on them. They were the same ones who committed themselves to keep the laws. And that's why Moses, when he saw what was happening, he got so mad, he took the two tablets of the law that he just received from the Lord and he threw it at them and literally broke them to smithereens. And it was a prophetic act almost because ever since that day, they have been breaking the law ever since. Now, some people may ask, you know, since God knew that the Jews would not be able to keep the laws, then why give them the law in the first place? Now, here's the key. The truth is the laws were not given for men to keep, but they were actually given for men to break because it is in the breaking of the law that we will actually know that we are sinners. It is in breaking the law that we will even recognize that we are lawbreakers. And only then will we know that we know we need a saviour. Only then will we turn to Christ. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is this, the laws were meant to lead us to Christ. The law actually tells us what sin is. It's true, isn't it? That if the law, take for example, if the law did not state that the speed limit on our roads is 100 kilometers per hour, then guess what? We will drive at 120 and feel nothing. But does that mean, therefore, that we are doing right? No, we will be a danger to ourselves. We will be a danger to everybody on the road, right? But it's just that we are not aware. We are not conscious of the fact that we are being a danger. Now, how would you know that it is a danger is when the government puts up the sign and says the speed limit is 100. Now, if you drive above 100, you begin to feel guilty. You begin to be aware that I am breaking the law. Okay, by right, you should feel guilty. Now, I know some of you don't, but every time you break the speed limit, you would feel something. You know that you know you are a lawbreaker. So how do you know that you are a sinner? It is through the law. That's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Listen to what Paul says here. The law, referring to the Mosaic Covenant, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, which is referring to the Abrahamic Covenant, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? And he gave us the answer. It was added because of transgression or because of sin until the seed 
to whom the promise referred has come. And that seed refers to Christ. See? And here the Apostle Paul was actually referring to the Abrahamic covenant, which was based on faith in the promises of God to bless Israel, to make her a great nation, so that she in turn will be a blessing to all nations. So the Mosaic covenant was only introduced 430 years later. But why was this covenant of the law established? Okay, it was so that the people know that they have sinned. But what is, is, is the Mosaic covenant any good? Now, what is the purpose of the Mosaic covenant? I think it does uh, accomplish a, a few things, right? Number one, it is only through the Mosaic covenant that Israel could become a nation under God's law. It was really a model, it was really a picture to help people to see that this is what a nation can be like if they are under God's laws. If they could keep the laws of God, they would have been a healthy, happy nation, right? Then number two, they now have a clear revelation of the will of God. Isn't that true? Until the laws were actually written down, the, the, the people do, do not really know what is right and what is wrong. They don't know what is expected of them to be a holy nation. And it's because the laws were given, that's how they know if they have been holy or not. And thirdly, they now know because of the law that they are actually lawbreakers. And that's when they know they can never get right with God by trying to be good. So these are the three um, great accomplishments of, of the law. Through the laws, Israel can become a nation under God. They now have a clear revelation of what is expected of them for holiness. And they also now know that they actually cannot get right with God by trying to be good. So where then is the hope? that they can cling to. But the good news I have for you, brothers and sisters, is that this covenant, the Mosaic covenant, was only temporary. It was introduced for what? Until the seed of the woman, who is referring to Christ, promised in the Adamic covenant has come. See, so you are putting all that together. So look at Galatians 4, verse 4 to 6 now. But when the set time has fully come, that was when God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. You see, the law was introduced and it sets the stage up for the new covenant of the cross that is to come. And when the seed comes, and when the new covenant of the cross was, was established, the seed of the woman was given. And that is referring to Christ. The seed of the woman promised to us in, in the Adamic covenant, who will, bruise, who will be bruised in his heel, but he will crush the head of Satan. And there on the cross, the price of sin will be finally paid in full. And mankind can then be reconciled back to God. Our sins can finally be removed and forgiven and taken out of the way. You see, we can no longer, it was there in the cross that all of a sudden we recognize that we no longer are cosmic orphans, but we are sons and daughters of God. It was at that point that the Spirit of God can be given. It will invade our spirit 
And then there'll be a witness that takes place between our spirit and God's spirit that I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. And that's when we receive a new spirit and then we begin to cry out, Abba, Father. That word cry out literally means a sudden recognition. You see, all this while we thought that we are cosmic often, but it's when the Holy Spirit comes into our spirit because of the cross that we have this witness that takes place between God's spirit and our spirit that I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. And brothers and sisters, that is our identity. That is our inheritance. That is our destiny. You see, we were never destined to be slaves to sin or to slaves to the laws, but we are destined to be sons and daughters of God. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. And this comes not by keeping the law. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. It is not by my own effort. It is by the grace of God. It is not by striving in my own strength, but it is by surrendering to the Spirit. I like this uh, story that was told of a young lady who started work in a textile factory. And on her sewing machine, there's this prominent sign on every sewing machine that reads like this, if your thread gets entangled, call your supervisor immediately. If your thread gets entangled, call your supervisor immediately. And that's what this woman was working diligently at her machine for about two hours, and then suddenly her thread got entangled. And but fearing that the supervisor might be upset, this, since this is the first day of her work, that woman tried to straighten out the mess herself. But the more she tried, the worse it gets. Finally, she had no choice but to call on the supervisor. The supervisor came, take one look at the mess, and immediately asked her, did you try and clear this mess up by yourself? And she had no choice but to say, yes, I did the best that I can. And the supervisor turned to her and said, no, the best thing you can do is to call on me. The best thing you can do is to call on me. And that's right, isn't it? Um, I cannot recall how many times I have tried to straighten out my own mess. You know, I strived in my own strength, I used my own fleshly energies, I'd exhausted myself. But the truth is this, I cannot do it without my divine supervisor. You know, when we get ourselves all in a mess and entangled with all the issues of life, first thing we need to do is to turn to our God. First thing we need to do it's not to try and strive harder, you know, try harder to, to get ourselves right. In the end, is to trust in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, what God wants us to do is when we reach the end of ourselves, put our faith fully in Him and we will see the deliverance of our God. You know, God made this Mosaic covenant with, Abraham, with Moses. Why? It's because... The law, the law is good, you see, and it, it is how um, if, if we really follow the moral laws of God, we can become a nation under God. The laws actually tell us what is expected of us for holy living. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, the law also tells us that we cannot keep it because of the sin nature that is in us. But the good news is this, brothers and sisters, the day will come. And in two weeks' time, we talk about this. The new covenant will be established. 
And today, you and I, we are, we are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. We are under the New Covenant. And under the New Covenant, the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit is in us. And we need not strive, but we learn how to surrender to the Holy Spirit. We need not try, but we learn to trust. And it is in trusting in God that we will begin to experience breakthroughs in our life. And I want to challenge every one of us here to recognize this, that the laws are given so that we know what is expected, but only by the Spirit, only by grace, are we able to keep walking right with God. So may the Lord bring revelation to us this morning. Would you bow and we have a word of prayer. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that as we study the covenants of God, we will fall in love with this God who is all out to redeem your people. Thank you, God, that you so long ago established this covenant of the law so that we now know that we cannot depend on our own self, we cannot depend on our own efforts, but we need your Holy Spirit to come and live out the righteousness of God, live out the laws of God. And when Jesus came and fulfilled the laws on our behalf, we are so thankful to you for what you have done. And now, Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit so that we will continue to walk in ways that pleases you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.